Hello and welcome to the Grace Place NYC. We are a church in the neighborhood of Hamilton Heights in Harlem. Our purpose is to live for Christ, love the lost, and transform our culture. Two weeks ago, we started a series called As For Me and My House. And in light of the recent uh, racial tensions and injustices in our nation, uh, we want to talk about who we are and how we're going to respond as a church. I think that's really, really important. Far too long, the church has been silent on the issue of racism, and the church has allowed politics to hijack this issue. And I believe God is now exposing darkness where it needs to be exposed. Uh, The verse that we're using for this series is found in uh, Joshua chapter number 24 and verse number 15. And this is Joshua speaking. If it is disagreeable in your sight to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves today whom you will serve whether the gods which your father served, which were beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. This is part of Joshua's farewell address to the Israelites before he dies. And he tells them that they can either serve idols or the Lord, but they cannot do both. And then he draws a line in the sand and he says, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And each of us individually has to make that decision and that choice for ourselves. But as a church and as the pastor and shepherd of this church, I am declaring to you that as for me and my house, the Grace Place NYC, we are going to serve the Lord. Um, we're, We're not going to lean right or lean left. We're going to lean into the Lord and walk according to his word. Um, Two weeks ago in part one, we said, as for me and my house, Jesus will be our ultimate guide and leader. As for me and my house, we will see color. And as for me and my house, we will speak up for those who cannot speak up for themselves. And today we continue by saying, as for me and my house, we will lean into the tension of our dual citizenship. We will lean in to the tension of our dual citizenship. A dual citizenship is when you are a citizen of two countries simultaneously. For example, if you were born in the United States, but one or both of your parents are citizens of another country, you are a citizen of the United States, the country you were born in, and you're also a citizen of the country that your parents are citizens of. As believers, every one of us has a dual citizenship. Listen to what Jesus says to his disciples in John chapter 15 and verse 19. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. And then let's look at Philippians chapter 3 and verse 20, Paul speaking here. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And then let's jump over to Hebrews chapter 11, the chapter of faith, the hall of faith, as some call it. And we're going to look at verse number 13 and verse number 16. Let's look at what the author of Hebrews says. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called 
their God, for he has prepared a city for them. What I mean by the tension of a dual citizenship is that if we have been born again, uh, born of the Spirit, uh, born again into the family of God, we are all citizens of the earth as well as citizens of heaven. I am a citizen of the United States of America, and I'm a resident of New York City. On my driver's license, it says New York, and then my address, which I'm not going to share with you, but it has my address and my residency in New York City. My passport, it says that I am a citizen of the United States. And uh, I've been to several other countries before, mostly on mission trips. And every time I enter another country, when I go through the airport, I, I uh, give them my passport to show them that a foreigner is entering the country and they know that a citizen of the United States has just entered their country. The Bible teaches us that when we become Christ followers, we receive a dual citizenship or residency. Uh, the theologians call this the already but not yet status. Uh, believers receive a citizenship in heaven and residency in a heavenly city that God is building for us. Believers have dual citizenships. However, our heavenly citizenship, and this is important, supersedes our earthly citizenship. Our identity is now found in the family of faith, which supersedes our family of origin. This is really, really important to understand and get. Jesus said, if anyone does not hate their father or mother, wife or children, brothers or sisters, they cannot be my disciple. And Jesus didn't mean a literal hate where you don't speak to your family at all and that you do bad things. So that's not what he was talking about. He was saying your identity in Christ, your identity as a disciple, your identity in the family of God supersedes any earthly identity or any earthly allegiance and loyalty. Uh, let's look at what the Apostle Paul said in Philippians chapter 3 and uh, verse 20 again. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. This citizenship that Paul was referring to here was the status granted of one who was an inhabitant of or who accorded allegiance to a Greek city-state or the Roman Empire. Philippi, which was the city in which the church was located and who Paul was writing this to, the, the book of Philippians, a letter to the Philippian church, was a colony of Rome in Macedonia. Roman citizenship could be obtained through birth, emancipation of uh, servanthood, or through naturalization. There were certain rights and privileges that came with being a Roman citizen. Roman citizens could not be scourged or crucified. Uh, they had the right to appeal their cases to Caesar and be tried in Rome. Uh, Paul, who was a Roman citizen, used his citizenship several times to keep from being scourged as well as uh, in order to appeal his case to Caesar in Rome. Paul is telling us here that just as if you're a Roman citizen, you have to abide by Roman laws, that if you are a heavenly citizen, you must abide by heavenly laws. We live in an earthly city, yet as believers, we are also part of a heavenly city, which means we are not guided by the systems and principles and worldviews of this world, because as Jesus said to his disciples, we are not of this world. We are guided by the word of God. We are led 
by the Spirit of God, and we are informed by the life of the Son of God. Our citizenship in heaven informs how we function and live here on this earth. Jesus said in the Lord's Prayer, Thy kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven. This is not some mystical, magical, abstract idea out there that we just pray and hope for. No, the kingdom of heaven comes to this earth and the will of God is accomplished on this earth as Christians, believers, followers of Jesus live out the values of the kingdom and live out the values of Jesus that we find in scripture. That is how the kingdom of God comes to this earth. The church is, in essence, a heavenly colony here on earth. So what does this mean for us as believers, though? Well, Paul tells us uh, earlier in Philippians chapter 3, in verse 7, actually, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. That word gains in the Greek means profit, something earned, an advantage. Paul is saying that he considers his privilege, and whatever advantages or profits he earned before coming into relationship with Christ, a loss for the sake of Christ. He's saying your Roman citizenship is inferior to your heavenly citizenship. You, I counted all, everything that I gained, all the advantages, all the privilege, all the profit that I gained and earned before coming to Christ. It's a loss compared to knowing Jesus. As heavenly citizens, anything that does not promote or lift up the heavenly kingdom, we must forsake, count as loss, just as Paul did. Oftentimes, heavenly laws conflict with earthly laws, and our responsibility when that happens is to obey God rather than men. Paul, leading up to this verse, talks about all of his credentials at the beginning of Philippians chapter 3, all of his credentials as a Pharisee. He says, I was circumcised on the eighth day. I come from the tribe of Benjamin, which happened to be the, the tribe that the first king of Israel came from. Uh, he said, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. I was flawless in keeping the law. He says, if anyone has a right to brag about their pedigree, it was him. Yet he immediately says, after stating all of this, that whatever were gains to me, I consider a loss for the sake of Christ. And then he gets even more descriptive in verse 8. He says, What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them, I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. The Greek word translated garbage here in this verse, one of the definitions of that word garbage is dung. Dung, you guys know what dung is? I won't keep going with that. Paul is saying to us here that the way of the world and the way of the flesh is garbage, dung to me, compared to knowing Christ and making him king of my life. As we think about how we as believers are going to respond to racial injustice, police brutality, and even the coronavirus pandemic that our nation is currently facing, the most important thing to consider is how is my attitude, behavior, and response reflecting Christ? Because anything that does not lift up the name of Jesus and his church is dung 
trash, garbage, if you want to get fancy. Jesus tells us that we are not of this world, therefore we can't respond as the world does. In Jeremiah chapter number 29, we read a letter from the prophet Jeremiah to the Jews. It was a letter that God spoke to Jeremiah, and Jeremiah wrote down what God spoke to him for the Jews who were carried away into exile by King Nebuchadnezzar in 586 BC uh, through the Babylonian Empire. This is significant because in a very real way, Christians are exiles here on earth until Christ comes back for his bride and rids the world of sin, injustice, and evil. That's what I referred to earlier when I said we're in the already but not yet status. We know that Christ has already defeated sin, evil, and injustice through the cross and resurrection. And he is currently ruling and reigning, but we won't see the full manifestation of this until he comes back a second time. He came into this earth as a lamb the first time, but he's coming back as a lion the second time to, to finally make all things right and all things new, to right every wrong, to make every injustice, to bring justice, to execute justice on every injustice. That will, that will happen at his second coming. Uh, but we won't see the full manifestation until he comes back. And like my mother-in-law keeps reminding me, he is coming back. So get ready, church. Jeremiah chapter 29, starting with verse number four. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there, do not decrease. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. As for me and my house, we will seek the peace and prosperity of our city. As for me and my house, we will seek the peace and prosperity of Hamilton Heights. You know, it's interesting. Currently, I see two types of Christians who have emerged recently. One type of Christian is saying to completely stay out of this current cultural battle. And to be honest, their silence has been deafening. Whenever a black brother or sister is unjustly murdered at the hands of officers, they remain silent. They say things like, I'm just going to stick to the gospel. Racism is a sin issue, not a skin issue. Well, actually it's both because people are being mistreated, oppressed, and discriminated against, and even uh, in the past have been enslaved in this country because of the color of their skin. So to me, saying it's a sin issue, not a skin issue, is the same thing as saying I'm colorblind. It's, 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 it's trying to elude and avoid the issue to make yourself feel better about yourself. Uh, that, you know, we wouldn't say porn addiction is a sin problem, not a sex problem, would we? No, we would say it's both. Uh, this type of Christian uh, you know, says, I'm staying out of politics on this particular issue of race, but if it's an issue that directly affects them, they all of a sudden get super political. And when you stay silent when injustice is taking place and sin is taking place, 
you pretty much are making a political statement, just saying. The other type of Christian I see emerging right now is this view that they are going to completely throw themselves into the cause without even thinking through whether their attitudes, words, and actions uh, are, are reflect their king and kingdom values or not. They've become super political. They'll use any means necessary to get the end result of what they want. Violence, rioting, looting, name-calling, functioning out of anger and not love, putting their entire hope in political systems to give them their utopian society where, where, where racism doesn't exist, inequality doesn't exist, oppression doesn't exist. It's wanting the kingdom without the king. And it doesn't work that way. Anytime Christianity has been co-opted by politics and government, it's been disastrous. Pete Scazzaro, former pastor of New Life Church in Queens, says that when the church, anytime the church gets co-opted by politics, it's an indication that the church is not grounded in Jesus. Our alignment to Jesus transcends any political party or any government system. Our relationship to Jesus, our connection to Jesus, our loyalty to Jesus, our allegiance to Jesus, it transcends any other system in this earth, any political system, any political uh, figure, any governmental system, any other, any of our lo nationalistic loyalty. Our relationship to Jesus transcends all of these things. Just think about in history when the government got too intertwined with Christianity. This happened with the Roman Empire when Constantine legalized Christianity throughout the empire and forced people to convert, which that's not even a real thing, but he forced people. And many people died at, at the hands of, uh, in the name of Christianity. Uh, this happened in Europe in the Middle Ages and where people were deceived that, that into believing that salvation and forgiveness, they had to pay for it through indulgences. And even a little more recently, just think about government legalized slavery in our country as well as other countries being justified through Scripture for hundreds and hundreds of years. One of the most heartbreaking things I've ever seen was at the Museum of the Bible in Washington, D.C., which my wife and I visited about a year ago. They have a whole exhibit called the Slave Bible. And the Slave Bible, for those of you who are not familiar, was produced in London in 1807 for enslaved Africans in Britain's uh, lucrative Caribbean colonies. They used the slave Bible to teach Africans how to read and also to introduce them to the Christian faith. The sinister part of it all is that this slave Bible had select parts of it removed. Um, the publishers deliberately removed portions of the Bible, such as the Exodus story, which inspired hope for liberation. Instead, the publishers emphasized portions that justified and fortified the systems of slavery that was so vital and important to the British Empire. They had um, in, in that exhibit, they had the, the portions of the, the Bible that were taken out and removed side by side with the Bibles that you and I read. And as I saw the portions taken out of these Bibles side by side that were keeping um, these African slaves enslaved, uh, that were keeping them oppressed, that, that, that were deliberately sapped any hope of, of liberation or freedom from them. It just made me so angry 
And it made me so sad that people used this uh, Christianity, which is a, a, a historically and traditionally a, a, it's, it's a, it's, it's a religion for the oppressed. It's a, it's a religion of freedom. The Bible says where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. The Bible says that the truth will set you free. And Jesus is the truth. He was the word that became flesh and dwelt among us. And when I saw that, it just made me so angry and so sad and so heartbreaking breaking that people would, would use the name of Jesus to keep people oppressed. This was just one of many ways that government and politics too intertwined with Christianity has become disastrous. Going back to this passage in Jeremiah, he shows us that neither of these views are the goal. Silence is not the goal, nor is complete trust in any earthly governmental system. God tells the exiled Jews in a foreign land to promote the peace and prosperity of the city that they are exiled in. He tells them to build houses, plant gardens, get married, uh, increase in number there. Don't retreat and hide waiting for God to come save you. Viewing ourselves as citizens of the heavenly city first and foremost allows us to critique all worldly systems through the lens of scripture. This is so important, church. It allows us to critique the political party that we have affinity for as well as the one that we oppose. It allows us to critique the criminal justice system as well as our own race of people. It allows us to critique the president when he's wrong, even if we support him. And it allows us to be respectful of him even when he doesn't deserve it. It keeps us from succumbing to the temptation of elevating Western values over biblical values. Because we're not married to a worldly system or political party. We are married to Jesus. We are his bride. And he's coming back for his bride. Amen. As believers in exile, our responsibility is to seek the peace and prosperity of our city. As we decide how to act in the midst of everything happening in our nation, we need to ask ourselves two questions. Number one, does it represent and honor Jesus and reflect his heart? And number two, does it seek the welfare, the peace and prosperity of the city? We need to be asking ourselves these two questions every time we want to post something, every time we want to say something, every time we want to act. As we're having all of these different thoughts, we need to filter them through these two questions. Does it honor Jesus and reflect his heart? And does it seek the welfare, the peace and prosperity of the city? Does working towards racial equality and justice for our black brothers and sisters seek the welfare of the city? Absolutely. Does trying to improve communication via relationship between police officers and the people in our brown and black communities seek the welfare of the city and honor Jesus? I believe so. Does providing groceries and necessities through the West Harlem Relief Fund honor Jesus and seek the welfare and the peace and prosperity of our city? 100%. Does working for police reform in our black and brown neighborhood honor Jesus and seek the welfare of the city? Yes. Does partnering with a ministry like Metro World Ch Challenge uh, or what Metro World Child, sorry, uh, does it, uh, who has been laboring in our neighborhood for decades, uh, does partnering with a ministry like this does it seek the welfare of the city and does it honor Jesus? 
Yes, it does. And that is why we partner with ministries like Metro World Child. I don't know why I can't say that today. I don't know why, but Metro World Child. I keep wanting to say challenge. When we partner with ministries like this, it honors Jesus and it seeks the welfare and the peace and the prosperity of the city. And we will continue to do these things as a church moving forward. We will work towards justice and we will work towards stopping injustice and we will work towards uh, partnering with our community and the different systems in our community and the different ministries and organizations in our community to seek the peace uh, and prosperity of Hamilton Heights and of New York City. That is the job of the church. But the number one job of the church is declaring the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he came to this earth, he died for our sins, and he rose again to bring us freedom, to give us life and life abundantly. And so we will do that by any means necessary because that is the most important thing. Because even Jesus said, what, what profit is it that a man gained the whole world yet forfeit his soul? We don't want anybody forfeiting their soul in our neighborhood. We don't want anybody forfeiting their soul in our apartment building. We don't want anybody forfeiting their soul in our family. And so our number one job as believers, our number one job as the church is to proclaim and declare and live out the gospel of Jesus Christ, which impacts every area of our lives, which impacts uh, race relations, which impacts uh, the police departments and how we communicate with them and how we interact with them, which, which, which relates to, to the, the welfare of the city and, and, and which, which relates to uh, the disparity between wealth with the, with the wealthy and, and the poor. And, 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 and it, it, the gospel, it affects all of these different avenues and areas and, and it, it, it just, the gospel is multi-layered and multifaceted. And uh, we need to be people that proclaim the gospel, not only with our words, but with our actions, with our thoughts, with our attitude, with everything that we do. Our lives are an act of worship unto God. And so we, we need to be very careful in how we speak. We need to be very careful in what we post. We need to be very careful in our attitudes towards people who don't agree with us. We need to be very careful. We need to, we, we, we always need to have that filter that I am a citizen of heaven first. My identity is primarily and first and foremost in the family of God. And so I am, I am representing Jesus everywhere I go. I'm representing his church I'm representing the family of God everywhere I go. And we need, to, we need to walk in this church. I think this is a word for the church right now because what I see right now going on is a lot of fighting. It, it, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of uh, things being said in a prideful spirit, in an arrogant spirit, in, in a hurtful spirit. And I believe that this is a word for the church. We need to function in a way that we can critique all things through the lens of scripture. That even, even, if, even if it aligns with our belief system, but it's, it's swerving from the truth of God's word, we need to be able to call that out. We need to be able to be set apart so that we can be a prophetic voice to the culture. So that we can call the culture 
to repentance when they need to repent. So that we're not so tied and married together to an earthly system or an earthly political party that we can't be a prophetic voice to that system, that we can't call them to repentance, that we can't say, you know what, this, I agree with this, but this is not the way of Jesus. But many Christians in this country, we're so tied to politics. We're so tied to an earthly ideology that we can't even call out racism when it's right in front of our eyes. Or, or, or we, can't, we can't call out sinfulness when it's right in front of our eyes. When we, we can't call out lawlessness and corruption when it's right in front of our eyes. But church, we are not of this world. Jesus told us that. And we need to, that's a reminder that we are not of this world. We are from another world. We, 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 we have been given an alien righteousness, a righteousness that's, that does not originate from ourselves. And so we need to live that way. Amen? As we land the plane today, I want to say this. As for me and my house, we will lean into the tension of our dual citizenship. And as for me and my house, we will seek the peace and prosperity of our city. Let's pray. Thank you for being with us at TGP NYC. You can listen to other sermons on Spotify or wherever else podcasts are available. For further details about the Grace Place, please visit tgp.nyc.com.